Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foot. Welcome into Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Uh, I got to tell you, last night was about as frustrated as you can get after a loss. So it is not a glorious, what is today, Wednesday, even though the Astros won last night. This gift stuff that they've been, this gift theme, like they just gave the A's three runs on Saturday and lost a stupid game. Last night, they gave the little MVPs five runs. Five. They gave it to them. Five runs. Just a clown show performance. I mean, it's like, look, I get you've owned them, especially this year. But, I mean, this this clown show stuff's got to stop. Fortunately, it came through with a big hit. But even then... Just awful, awful performance. They did a good job. You know, Garcia comes out, cannot throw a strike in the first inning, walks three straight batters, loads the bases with walks, and gets out of it only one run, so that's good. And then he pitches fine the rest of the way. And then in the seventh inning, look, I'm he's done great, but Maton is really, he's just, first of all, he's so good. I mean, the Astros have the goofiest players in baseball. Like Ichabod Crane in right field. I love Icky. He's done great. He's, I, I love that he's proven me wrong, that he's turned out to be a great prospect, and he's have he's off to a great, and he's just as goofy as can be. And then this cat, Phil Maton. I think this cat's from another planet. Like, it wouldn't surprise me if this cat was like some sort of robot or something. I mean, this cat, Phil Maton. Look, he's done great. They they traded for him because he's got this great spin rate, and he's just so goofy. And he always has this really dumb look on his face. I I, I don't know what he's doing half the time. Like, what what is he thinking? So last night, you know, they 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 the bullpen is as rested as a bullpen can be this time of the year. They hadn't pitched, like the, the starting pitching has been fabulous. Then they had an off day. So they bring this guy in in the seventh inning. They hit him. He walks a batter just because he's so Phil Maton. And then and then they, they hit it to him, and he th- tries to throw the ball in left field. He throws the ball. It's not even close to just throw the first base, moron, and get the out. You already had one out. Just get the out. You're not good enough to throw to a base. And then they hit it to Bregman, and he throws it away. I mean, and then all of a sudden, Candy can't catch the ball. That's two runs that have scored on pass balls. Catch the ball, Cat. That's why they call you the catcher. Like, this is pretty basic here. You got to catch the ball. Awful performance. You know, yesterday I was like, I'm, I'm um, a little worried about staying up. That late. And I was doing my typical late for, you know, they were up 5-1. And I was like, oh, no, I'm I'm going to have trouble staying awake here. And then came the bottom of the seventh. 
clown show, bad news bear hour. I mean, just awful. Just gave him four runs. Just gave it to him. After handing him a run in the first inning with three straight walks. The little MVPs mustered two hits last night. Two. They scored five runs on two hits. And one of the two hits had nothing to do with any of the five runs. Essentially, they scored five runs on one hit. Clown show stuff there. I mean, enough of that. Look, fortunately, they won the game. But even in winning the game, it was frustrating. They, it, it, to, to their credit, they, it was tied going to the ninth. They bring in their closer. The little MVPs sent their closer to the to the to the hill. Um, one one thing I really do like, and he hasn't done this a whole lot in his career, but Altuve's been taking more walks, and I'm talking about walks that he could have easily swung at on ball fours. He drew a really nice walk. Uh, he took a borderline pitch. There, there's, there, there's, there's a mentality in this country that you have to swing, and you see it all the time on strike threes, guys swinging at balls out of the zone because they have this idea that if you take a strike three, it's like the worst thing in the world. Well, I'm not in that. I'm not of that thinking. I think most pitches that are thrown are, are balls. It doesn't matter what the strikes say. A lot of guys swing at balls outside the zone all the time. They're, they're technically strikes, but they're not really strikes. And I have no problem taking strike three, especially if a pitcher is, um, you know, shown the if you have a reasonable expectation that he's going to throw a ball out of the zone. And, and, and I think batters get themselves out a lot, and pitchers take advantage of that a lot. I'm not a big – I'm not – I don't think um, – I'd much rather a guy take strike three than swing at a ball out of the zone and strike out. Much rather. It's not even close to me. I, I'd much rather take a borderline pitch for a called strike than to swing at some ball that's not even close in the dirt and strike out. I mean, I think that's the worst. Um. And so I, I really am thankful that Altuve's been walking more and taking more borderline pitches because at time he gets in swing mode and he just he gets unhinged in this swing mode stuff all the time. And then, uh, man, I, you know, Alimus Diaz, I like him. Uh, he swings at way too many sliders that aren't close in the zone for me. But he's been coming up with big hits, and he got a big hit. You know, he hit a two-run homer early. And then he got a huge single to the right side. That's called playing baseball, which the Astros don't do enough. They don't play enough baseball. And uh, got him on the corners. So they get a run home because Ick got a double graded bat by Ick. And then they got the bases loaded and nobody out. Bases loaded, nobody out. They can't score. Bases loaded, nobody out. They can't score. And that happens all the time, not getting runs home. Like, my biggest concern about the Astros right now, I have some concerns that they become the Yankees. 
and the way that they play baseball. It's not good. One of the reasons why the Yankees have not gotten it done in the postseason is they're too reliant on the home run. And when you get in the postseason and it's pressure and you don't, you're facing better pitching more often, theoretically, they're not going to give up a bunch of home runs that you hit throughout the course of the season. And those are fine. It's an all a means to an end. But you have to show that you can put the ball in play against good pitching with runners on third and less than two outs. Like, they don't ever do that anymore. It's, it's getting bad. Now, look, overall, everything's great. They got pitching. You know, Bregman's starting to hit. That's a good sign. You know, things are looking great in big picture. Don't get me wrong. But they have got to start playing base. You have to be able to play baseball. You, it's, it can't just be home run derby every, every game. Uh, they're way too reliant on the home run. That's my biggest concern about this team right now. They're way too reliant on the home run, and they have not done a good job. So you got bases loaded, no out, in great position to to, to just deal the knockout punch and, and pop up, pop up. I don't even remember the last out. Might have been a strikeout. I can't remember. But, but three straight outs. Don't even come close to getting the run home. And Pena's actually been really good at getting guys out. And he didn't do it either. So it's um, the the good part of all that is Presley came in in the ninth, got a one, two, three ninth. It was a clown show performance, but they won six to five. So you got the win. And in case you haven't noticed, Astros are only three and a half back of the Yankees for the best overall record. In baseball, and the amazing thing about that is, the Astros have done it with uh, McCullers hasn't pitched yet this season. Who was he was their best pitcher last year uh, until he got hurt in the ALDS. Um, Bregman just now starting to hit. Yuli hasn't hit all season long. I, I don't know what they're going to do with Yuli. I mean, there's some people who are speculating that they might go out and get a Josh Bell or someone like that. I don't know. I don't know. I don't think they're going to do that, but Yuli just he continues to not. Now, he's gotten some hits lately, don't get me wrong, but he just he used to be the the most reliable guy with the runners on third and less than two outs. He's just not anymore. All he does is pop up. He he I, I'm worried about Yuli. He's got a it, it's time, cat. Start driving the ball. Start being Yuli again. I understand you won uh, the batting title and you're going to have a little bit of a medicine season, but, we, you know, we're, we're, uh, we're sniffing middle of July. It's time. So it's um, – so it, it is impressive overall that they have – you know, the Yankees are on this historic start to the season and the Astros are three and a half back. And they've done it with, you know, plenty of room for improvement. No question there. Um, Yankees last night, you know, this cat Holmes has bailed him out. Well, last night he didn't. How about the Cincinnati Reds? I mean, the Cincinnati Reds 
swept the Rays over the weekend. Swept them. And now, since then, the Rays have beaten the Red Sox two games. And then they go to Yankee Stadium. They're down 3 nothing in the ninth against the guy who's had the best season of any reliever in baseball this year. And they put a four spot on him. And they almost blew it. Like, they tied it. No, they can't. They got within a run. Had the bases loaded, no outs. Force out, force out. Looks like the Yankees are going to get out of it. And Jonathan India gets a clutch two-run single. Wow. Wow. Now, that's clutch hitting. Very impressive. Very impressive. So, um, that was uh, a big win for the Reds. I think they have their longest win streak of the season at five. Wow. Then, the big game of baseball last night, the Braves beat the Mets. Uh, You know, early on, before the Astros game started, I um the Mets were looking pretty good. They had a they had a one nothing lead. Peterson was pitching a little better than I thought, but I turned back. Well, I didn't turn back. I, I looked on my phone to get an update, I don't know, an hour later or so, and the Braves had scored four in that, that game. Uh they did a they that was a good bounce back win. Again, I didn't think either team would sweep. We'll see who wins tonight's game to win the series. So as long as there wasn't a sweep. And even if there was, you know, it's not like the even if one of the teams would have swept in this series doesn't mean they're going to win the division. It's still, we're still not to mid-July yet. But um, it, you know, still, if you're the Braves, you didn't want to get swept, and they they avoided that last night. So a good win for the Braves. We'll see how how that series ends up, but. Man, I, I just no more gifts. Look, if you it's it's baseball. If you're gonna get beat, then you're gonna get beat sometimes. What I don't want is to play teams you're better than and just give it to them. This ain't a charity situation here. This is professional sports. Stop giving stuff away. If they're gonna beat you on a given day, I can live with that. Put it under the one your fifty four losses that you get before. That's easy. But this gift stuff. I mean, they've given up eight. They've given away eight runs on this road trip. Just giving it to them. I, enough of that, okay? Enough of that. By the way, the A's scored 14 runs last night. Scored eight runs in the 12th. The A's. The A's scored eight runs in an inning. Won 14 to 7 in 12 innings. I wonder if that's ever happened before in the history of Major League Baseball that a team has scored won fourteen to seven in twelve innings. I don't know, but I wonder. You you gotta wonder if that's ever happened in the history of baseball before that a team has won fourteen to seven in twelve innings. That's insanity, especially a, with a Triple A lineup. All right, let's do this. We'll take a timeout. Enough belly aching over a win, but man, if you had to see it, I mean, this is that was pitiful last night. Clown show. Got to play better. We'll take a timeout. We'll come back, shift gears, talk LSU sports with Koki Riley of the USA Today Network. Next on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Time to open up the vault for the games this day in sports history. 
July 13, 1968, Gary Player wins the second of his three Open Championship titles with a two-stroke win over Bob Charles and Jack Nicklaus. That was this day in sports history. We now return to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Want to remind you next week, SEC Media Days, the game 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles will be packing its bad, heading to Atlanta for SEC Media Days starting on Monday. Both RP3 and company and Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh will be aired live from Atlanta, as well as reports each day right here on Footnotes with RP3 and on the Jardy Hobart Show. With Matt, all brought to you by Borderlong Furniture. So help kick off the 2022 college football season from Atlanta by listening to the game's coverage of SEC Media Days next week. From the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Another person who may be there. We're about to find out our special guest, Koki Riley. How are you, sir? Doing really well. Thanks for having me on again, Kevin. Are you planning on going to Atlanta? Um, I actually won't be there. Uh, but uh, it, should, it, should, it sounds like it'll be certainly a fun event for sure. Well, you know, media. some media days, most football media days are kind of ho-hum from my perspective. But I think this year in the Sun Belt and in the SEC, as well as the Big Ten, because of everything going on big picture-wise in college athletics and, be, and, and in, the S, in the Sun Belt, all the new teams coming in and then all the new teams coming in and rumored to be coming into the SEC, they should be pretty dicey. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, with everything that's happening with, you know, L.A. teams in the Big Ten and <laughs> trying to figure out the, the new SEC football schedule with Texas and Oklahoma coming in, I mean, you're absolutely you're absolutely right. So I know it's way too early to be actually trying to figure this stuff out, but I wonder how recruiting is going to be affected down the road. Like, are, 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 like what conferences teams are in is not going to impact recruiting or recruiting strategies. Like, you know, we talked about it before. Coach um, Kelly coming in. LSU's always recruited nationally because it's, it's an elite program. But when you bring in a Notre Dame coach, it's a different kind of recruiting nationally. And so – I, I just wonder how all of this, you know, two years down the road, five years down the road is going to impact recruiting. Um, I think that's a good question. I think it's going to affect more of the Big Ten than the SEC because I think Texas and Oklahoma are fighting for many of the same prospects that LSU and A&M and um, Arkansas and, and Alabama are fighting for just because I, I think regionally they're rough, they're in the same – general ballpark, um, and, I, and I think if, if you're a really, really good player, if you're a high four-star, even a medium four-star, and especially if you're a five-star, Texas and Oklahoma probably want you as much as Alabama and um, LSU as well. 
And, and the reason why I, I say that is is that it affects the Big Ten more is because I don't know. Like if you're now, if you're these, and now if you're like a school like US, USC and UCLA, you have to um, you have to recruit the Midwest more, which is what you probably wouldn't have done a lot. Um, beforehand because you didn't really need to because you were already in the Pac-12. And if you're a Midwest school, you now have more of a target towards that L.A. area. Heck, California in general um, because of this news. So I I think it really shakes up the Big Ten recruiting. But in the SEC, I don't think it does a whole ton. It it, it might affect it a little bit because maybe a school like Oklahoma might uh, focus more on uh, finding guys in the trenches who could compete against these big physical SEC schools. But I, I think in general it doesn't change a ton. But, you know, it's interesting. You know, I, again, it's just perception. But I would think in California, you know, there, <clears throat> I doubt there's very many t- high schools playing with tight ends and running the football in the state of California. And, again, and I, I don't even think that's the case much in Texas, you know, where, where, uh, where you have a lot of teams – who are playing real physical football, but I would think there's a whole lot more of that in the Midwest. So I think Coach Kelly, again, when I heard that LSU was hiring Kelly, my number one thought, and still is, is he's going to make them so much better on the line of scrimmage as opposed to all this seven-on-seven football that's being played throughout the country. And have you seen that? Is there evidence of that yet? Um. I, I think LSU has done already a great job at finding defensive linemen so far. I think Jamar Kane has done a fantastic job of adding to the defensive line. I mean, Jackson Howard, Joshua Mickens, Sean Womack, and Deron Reed to get those four four-star prospects um, within a four-day span was really, really impressive. Um, I, I think they've already improved on that. They're still trying to find more pieces for the offensive line. Um, and then, of course, as you know, last class, uh, they already added a Will Campbell. They already added Emory Jones to that offensive line. Um, they're still getting there with the line with that with that side of the ball. But I, I, I think, in general, um, it, how in terms of like emphasis for offensive line stuff like that, I, offensive linemen are tough to find because not every state does the greatest job at developing them, you know, and sometimes you have to go out of state to find those sort of recruits. I think one of the reasons why LSU's recruit, um, uh, one of the LSU's classes, one of the reasons why their class this year has been so national is because there isn't a ton of uh, great defensive line prospects in Louisiana this year. Um, In years past, LSU's had trouble finding quarterbacks because there wasn't, for example, at least, because there wasn't a lot of uh, top quarterback talent in the state. That's obviously changed a little bit now. But, I mean, you look at a school like California uh, or a school like USC or UCLA in California, California doesn't produce the, gr- the greatest offensive linemen. You usually find those guys in the Midwest, as you, as you sort of alluded to. Uh, it's the reason why USC and UCLA don't always play the most physical style of football, even though UCLA is sort of been doing that a little bit more recently um so so yeah i mean you're you're absolutely right with with brian kelly and that they're definitely emphasizing the lines it hasn't um totally materialized offensively yet even though i'm pretty sure they're gonna get dallas hurt as the uh offensive tackle on neville but on the defensive line it's certainly materialized and and then i think uh the kelly's um uh kelly kelly staff 
and, and, and their connections on a national national scale, which we can get into that a little bit more, has, has really helped um, uh, fuel that strategy. And, and I think the next step, obviously, the other most important part of this whole equation is coaching and and your and, and what your game plan is. I mean, I think you know they're going to put a heavy emphasis. I would think the offensive line will be coached very well, and the way the kind of football that you play might be able to accentuate that a little more too than than and for a lot of programs. Absolutely. And you know, and to be strong on both lines isn't just um to be good at pounding the football uh, as for a running attack and or or stopping the run on the other end and just playing physical. That's part of it. But I think a lot of it just has to do with you need guys who can get to the quarterback and make him uncomfortable. And you also need guys who could protect the quarterback and make him feel comfortable, right? Um, and how many how many times have we seen in the NFL and in college football games simply won because, you know, one line absolutely dominated another. And it just made life easier for, for every skill player involved. And um, if, if you can win the line of scrimmage, it doesn't matter what style of football you're playing. That's going to help you, you know, regardless. So, uh, and, I, and I definitely think that's definitely been an emphasis for, for Brian Kelly and his staff this year. And we're already seeing it happening on the defensive line, of course. All right. So the running backs that they've signed, I saw Holly play at Abbeville last year. And it was, um, again, they run. It, it, it can be difficult at times when you have a really conservative wing tee or a veer offense to judge how good running backs are going to be at the next level. But he's obviously a very talented guy. And then him and the other running backs that they've recruited, is it too early to know the kind, the, the kind of running backs and the kind of running game they envision by what they've recruited from running backs? Or has it been pretty telling so far to you? Um, I don't think there. This that's a good question, but I, I don't think there's an obvious strategy so far with, with uh, adding Caleb Jackson, the four-star um, running back. Jackson's a little bit bigger. He's a little bit more stout. He's he seems like a little bit more like a one-cut running back um, and, and and busts up the field kind of guy. He's not a he's not a total speedster. He, he's pretty well rounded back. And this Trey Holly, who is one of those really really smaller backs, who I can't really see him being like a three down back, even at the college level, but he's an excellent athlete, as you've seen. And he plays defense for Union Parish as well. And you can definitely see um, those athletic skills in that, in that, in that, in that um, sort of like that rock hard core strength that he has on display on both sides of the ball uh, for Union Parish. So, yeah, it, it's going to be really interesting how to see how they deploy those two guys. I, I think both of them, at the very least, will be. Um, depth pieces to the overall picture. Uh, I, I think we, we we already see this season that LSU has a couple different types of running backs, and they're not going to fully rely on one unless John Emery really, really busts out, which could ha- could very well happen. He was a former five-star recruit. Um, but I think the plan, I think Kelly's even said this, is that they want to sort of deploy these guys, um, maybe not totally equally, but uh, – uh, show show him some reps, if you know what I mean, because Armani Armani Goodwin's a different running back than Noah Kane, who's a different running back than John Emery, right? So I think they're going to want to do something like that and just sort of rely on their depth at the running back position, which makes sense because I think that's where the game is sort of evolving to, um, especially as the game gets more and more physical and, and it's harder to rely on one guy just because of the wear and tear uh, that you get at that position. 
Well, over the last two or three years, so many things have been unique and, and different in the world of sports that we've had to adjust to. And one of them is a major league draft in the middle of July, the all-star break. I don't know that that's, I don't think that's ever happened before, but that's what's about to happen this weekend. So what, what are you looking out for from an LSU standpoint as far as getting hurt, maybe players you lose or maybe recruits that they might lose based on the draft this weekend? Yeah, in terms of players, I don't think that LSU is going to get hurt too, too badly. I mean, there's a couple names who might be on the fence, and we'll see whether they come back or not, like Gavin Duga, uh, Ty Floyd, Eric Razelman, uh, Carter Young, Braden Jobert. Those are a few guys that I could see potentially signing, depending on um, how much money gets thrown at them. Uh, my guess is that Carter Young probably stays just because he transferred. He, he took the time to transfer from Vanderbilt to LSU and, He's a guy who has a bit of a ceiling, so um, if he has a great season at LSU next year, then maybe he could um, try his luck at the draft again. Um, uh, that's just as just as a, just as an example. But on the other side, maybe a guy like Brandon Joe Bear doesn't do that. I don't know. We'll see. Um, uh, I think Jacob Barry and Kay Doty are almost certainly gone. Those guys are going to go in the first two rounds, especially Barry's definitely a first round pick. Um, of course. Devin Fontenot, Mikhail Hilliard, Tyler McManus, Trey Schaefer, Trent Fittmeyer, those guys are out of eligibility, so they're gone either way. Um, and then they have a whole list of guys who probably won't sign, including on that list is Dylan T-Break, who I thought could definitely try his put his foot, uh, put his toe into the water at the very least with the draft, just because of how good he was at Creighton the last two years. Um, but it sounds like, according to Kylie McDaniel, who was talking on Matt Muscana's show, uh, that he will most likely head to LSU and, and, and try to show that this stuff works in the SEC. And that's great news, just given that he's won Big East Pitcher of the Year in the last two seasons. And uh, that's a guy that they definitely need toward the top of their rotation. But I, I think the thing to really watch this year with the draft for LSU is just the amount of, guy, amount of, the amount of recruits that uh, and wind up actually signing with teams. I think two of them are gone for absolutely sure. That's Justin Crawford, Robbie Snelling. Those are those guys are first round picks. I think Tucker Tome in the third baseman. He's most likely gone. Is oh, I'm like ninety percent sure he's gone as well. And then everybody else will be really interesting to see what they do, how much money gets thrown at them, and whatnot. I think guys that are probably gone is Brady Neal. He's the catcher. Uh, you reclassified from 2023 class, and the fact that he's a younger guy is gonna. Um, be favorable in the eyes of a lot of teams. Mike Romero, the California shortstop, probably a second-round pick. He's probably gone, I'd say, as well. Uh, Jared Jones, the, the catcher, number 57 in uh, Keith Law's rankings, number 166 in the ESPN rankings. It'll be interesting to see what happens. A guy, a guy like him or a guy like Jacob Mizorowski, I mean, Juco pitcher, um, but he throws in the upper 90s, and, and he, that's, that kid's really, really talented. Um, he's somewhere around the top 100. Uh, draft prospects. It'll be interesting to see if he signs. And uh, all those guys, it's it, it's just they they have such a good recruiting class this year. They were number one according to uh, according to Perfect Game. Um, so I I think it'll be it'll be really telling to see which guys go and which guys don't. Um, they're going to be able to keep a, a few of them because I think some of the reports have said that. Uh, they're leading towards just coming back to LSU despite being second-round caliber player. Some like Paxton Kling has been mentioned as, as being that. But, I mean, that's sort of the problem you run into when you have these absolutely loaded recruiting classes. 
All right, so am I hearing that Coach Johnson's, you know, different staffs have done that differently over the years. Do you, quote, unquote, waste time or spend time recruiting guys and getting commitments from guys that more than likely will be going into the draft? It sounds like they believe that that's still worth their time and effort to do. Uh, is that is that a philosophy or is that just something that happened this year, you think? Um, that's a good question. I think we're going to have to see over the next few years whether that's definitely going to be a philosophy for them. Um, but I don't think it's a bad idea to get as many good players as you can and see which ones can stick, right? Because when you're recruiting these guys, you're not 100% sure if they're going to be um, if they're going to be first-round picks moving forward, right? And a lot of it depends on how they do over the rest of that high school season. Uh, a lot of it depends on outside factors that you really can't control. So if you have a chance to grab a guy like Paxton Kling, um, who uh, Keith Law has that number 51 in his rankings, and that and, and when you hear number 51 in the rankings, you're thinking, oh, he's a high second-round pick. Then uh, you get you go get that guy, and uh, even if there is a risk of him going the draft, because there's also the risk for MLB teams of being like, oh, this kid, if we draft this kid, he's not going to sign, and that's what it sounds like. It's gonna what's that's what's gonna happen. He's just not gonna sign. Um, same goes with a guy like Jaden Newt, who's in the top 100 of ESPN's rankings. Uh, top 100 guy, you're thinking, oh, he out of high school, you're thinking, oh, he's gonna go sign with a team. Well, the rumor on the street is that he isn't. So I I think it's going to be really interesting to see like which guys don't and which guys do. I mean, the two guys that I mentioned are probably most likely to sign, at least according to those reports. Um, but uh, it, it's just worth it's worth rolling the rolling the dice, at least in my opinion. All right, lot middle of this of July here. Normally a dead period. Still lots of you know between recruiting and the draft. Still lots of details and stories to follow. So a little bit different, and um, for some it's welcome, for others it's not. But look, I appreciate your time as always, sir. Thank you very much. We'll see how it all pans out uh, over the weekend. A lot, lot more to analyze next week. Thank you, sir. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me on, Kevin. All right. Koki Riley of the USA Today Network, you know, and to Koki's point, I think it's going to be very interesting to, you know, there's going to be a lot of, on both sides, but to kind of watch over the next year or so, what percentage of guys who transfer and then get drafted go ahead and 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 play or what percentage of those, even though they tr- just transferred to his point, if they get drafted, do they go ahead and, and, and sign? So it'll be interesting to see what those numbers look like over the next couple years. All right, we'll take a timeout, come back, uh, reshuffle, get back to May uh, baseball. And again, it's day three of our Footnote Summer Project. We made tons of progress, but we got a lot more to get to. We'll start doing some of that after this timeout on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foote on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Want to remind you, the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, would like for you to win an Apple Watch. It's real easy to do. All you have to do is join our brand new text club. Simply text GAME, G-A-M-E, to 337 283 
337-283-8100. That's 337-283-8100. Not only will that put you make you eligible to win an Apple Watch, it also puts your name in the hat to potentially win all kind of other great prizes, including Astro tickets. It's the Game Text Club. Find out more by going to 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com today. The the Major League Draft has always been very interesting to me from a, um, you know, we don't talk about it much. Big, nothing like compared to the NFL draft because it's so far down the road. But what I, the reason why I say interesting is if you are going to be picked in the first round, would you prefer to be picked by an organization that isn't doing very well on paper, theoretically, if you do, then your, your ability to move upward pretty quickly seems higher. On the flip side, a lot of times if you're drafted, though, by a, a quote-unquote lesser organization or one isn't known for doing things in a great way, your time there may not be great, and you don't know how you know how that's going to work out. Um, the other thing about the minor leagues, though, it may not even matter at all who you're drafted by. Because so often, if you're a really good prospect, you get traded anyway. So you might get drafted by some um, team that, you know, an organization that is not doing all that great for, for in recent years. But yet they might be, you know, they might be giving prospects to one of these other teams down the road or vice versa. Like you might get drafted by the Astros or the or the. Yankees or the Dodgers or someone, and then they would might trade you to, you know, the A's or whoever, you know, the Pirates or the Royals, whoever's given up a bunch of uh, a really good player, and, the, and, and you might end up. So uh, it's kind of a crapshoot as far as where, who you should be drafted by. Now, again, you could get traded in the NFL and you can get traded in the NBA, there's a lot more draft day trades in the NBA. But in Major League Baseball, like, it's just beginning. Like, I, I'm sure there are a lot of families, if you, especially if you get drafted in the first two rounds, that go out and buy a bunch of apparel from that organization. But really, until they may get to the Major Leagues, there's a pretty good chance they're going to get traded along the way. Uh, decent chance anyway, and so they might end up having to get rid of all that apparel and and get a whole new team. It's just kind of the it's just interesting the way that Major League Baseball works in the draft as opposed to the other teams. Um, you know it. it they if you've been watching the commercials, however, um, you know there are plenty of success stories, and I'm glad they cover it. Like they did, like I remember watching it live when the Astros drafted Carlos Correa, you know, and and he played a huge role in the, in getting the Astros to where they are right now. By the way, Mark Capel, we were kind of jo- one of the worst first round picks the the Astros ever made, and yet 
I saw him pitch a little bit. We talked about it last week, I think it was, when he made his major league debut or two weeks ago. Um, And I saw him pitch a little bit yesterday in the bullpen. Or was that the day before? And he actually is looking pretty good. Again, got to give the guy some credit. Hated the pick. Uh, when you pick someone number one overall and it just becomes a disaster pick, it, it kind of stings a little bit forevermore. Every time you hear his name, you kind of cringe. Like if you're a Saints fan and you hear the name Jonathan Sullivan, you just kind of cringe. You know, these first-round picks that are become bust. But to his credit, he stuck to it. You know, he's he's a middle reliever for the Phillies right now, but – who knows? He might help the Phillies get into the playoffs. And, you know, he, he'll have his chance to kind of still kind of make somewhat of a mark in Major League Baseball. We'll see how that plays out. But, no, the, it's still uh, important. And at least they get it because of Major League MLB Network to get it gets some coverage. And and you can still have those memories of remembering when you drafted so-and-so as far as your organization and see how all of that pans out so we'll see the Astros are kind of back into the draft game a little bit you know with all of the suspensions they lost so many picks in recent years draft hasn't been as fun so we'll see how that plays out over the weekend all right we'll take a time out come back finish out the first hour next on the game 1037 Lafayette 1041 Lake Charles Southwest Louisiana Sports Station your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. You're home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Speaking of the Astros, Astros will be taking on the Seattle Mariners on Saturday, July 30th. Astro giveaway number three. If you would like to win four tickets to that game, as well as a tour Minute Maid Park, and hotel accommodations for that evening, you simply need to join the game clubhouse and you might be able to win Astro Getaway 3. Astro Getaways powered by Butcher Air Conditioning, La Meridian, Houston Downtown, and the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Those Astros, I think the Astros have six games left with the Mariners and they're done for the season, which is a good thing. Uh, you know, the Astros have owned the Mariners forever, but... This year has not been the case. Six and six so far. Some of the Astros' worst games where they get beat up really bad have come at the hand of the Mariners. Mariners have a lot of good young players. It's going to be, um, you know, if the Astros can win four of these six, I'd be it'll be tremendous. If they go three and three, I'll take it, and you move on. So it's going to it's going to be a lot of more of a more of a national type game. Games where the not you know the little ESPN division teams and analysts and fans are going to pay attention to a little more from the wild card race on. And plus, again, you know Julio Rodriguez is he's not a household name yet, but he's going to be pretty soon. Mm-hmm. I mean, actually, you're playing for uh, it's a three game series on the starting the twenty second. And then our last year is a four-game series starting on the 28th. So got seven games left? Yep. That's not good. Normally, I look forward to playing the Mariners. <laughs> not this year. Not this year. And so 
And the beauty, you know, King Griffey Jr. had the big smile, and he was um, more of a corporate player, though. You know, he, his dad played in the big league, so he kind of knew the game. Julio Rodriguez is um, just, you know, loves it. I mean, you, he just embraces the spotlight. He, You know, it's he's going to be a lot of fun for those who are going to be big fans of him. Lots of fun. So, I mean, if someone wants to get me a Julio Rodriguez jersey, you're more than welcome to, by the way, just in case you're wondering. Um, yes. There's going to be a lot of people. Hope to have them on my fantasy team again next year. All right. That'll do it for the first hour. Another hour to follow. We'll get back to our footnote summer project some in this next hour. We'll do that on the game. Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foote on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Astros last night survived. As I put it, it was a clown show performance. They gave the little MVPs five runs. The little MVPs mustered up two hits last night. One of them was like a two-out single, and the next batter got retired, so you got nothing out of it. So essentially, they scored five runs on one hit. That's how poorly the Astros played defensively in that game last night. And most of it was all in in the seventh inning, a four-run seventh. It was was as we say a nightmare inning. The problem is that was the second nightmare inning in a week. They had a three-run nightmare inning against the A's, and lost because of it on on Saturday. A loss that should never have happened. So hopefully the Astros will get, will kind of clean that up a little bit. Astros will play again, 838 first pitch scheduled tonight. One of many outstanding pitching performances. I'm sorry, pitching matchups. Uh, Christian Javier against Shohei Otani. One of the little MVPs tonight. Good pitching matchup. Uh, you've got Adam Wainwright against Tony Gonsolin. What in the world has gotten into Tony Gonsolin? He's had he's having a Cy Young season so far for the Punks. Like, what is the deal with this guy? Who is he, and what does he want? I mean, it's just crazy. But that's a nice matchup. You've got uh, saw a couple of others here. Chris Bassett against Charlie Martin. Um. Uh, there was one other one I thought was interesting. Um, well, a couple, not, I don't not so much matchups, but some some pit, some interesting pitchers having good years, like Joe Musgrove against the Rockies, Joe Ryan against Ashby, um, and Zach Gallon is pitching against the Giants. I, I, I've always been a big admirer of, of Zach Gallon, so we'll see how that plays out. But some nice little pitching matchups tonight. We'll see how that goes. McClanahan is pitching tonight. Um, as the Rays try to beat the Red Sox again, we'll see how that plays out. 
Before we get to some more of our footnote summer project talk, want to go to the game hotline and talk to our friend. Hello. Hey, morning, foot. How you doing, sir? You hanging in there? Uh, I'm hanging it. I mean, I just think the Rays got our number, man. I mean, if they just have to play us all season, they they don't. I mean. I don't know what the season record is, but they have our number, man. I mean, maybe they, maybe the Yankees can contact them and ask them how they, how to beat the Red Sox, because uh, <laughs> the way they tried this uh, Sunday, that didn't work. <laughs> well, well, I think a lot of us thought that the Red, you know, the Rays were really reeling, and I do kind of think they are because they got they went to Cincinnati and got swept, but then the Reds went to Yankee Stadium and beat them last night. Right now. Nah. I got a question for you, Foot. You think I, I keep telling Paul that you're the baseball guru? You think he's ever gonna take your advice and listen to you? No, Paul. Paul's got a little on the stubborn side. I've noticed. Yeah, Petty Paul, because you kept you, and you still saying you saying, watch out for the Mariners, watch out for the Mariners, the, the Fighting Five names, and uh, they aren't, aren't they on an eight game win streak right now? Yes. I mean, they're getting hot at the right moment. I think if they make the playoffs, I think they can eliminate the Yankees. And if that's the case, if uh, Five Names is listening right now, I'll get you that jersey because <laughs> any team that beats the Yankees is a friend of mine. But, yeah, I, like I said, I think the Astros are going to catch the Yankees for the best record uh, in the in the MLB. I mean, the Yankees, I mean, they, they, they just keep blowing leads left and right. They blew another lead last night to the Cincinnati. How are you going to win a World Series when you can't even hold down a lead? And like I told Paul, they need to get rid of that joke, uh, Aroldis Chapman. He, he, he's done, man. That that dude can't pitch for nothing anymore. But uh, that's all I had to say, man, and thanks for taking my call, buddy. All, all right. Take care. Um, no, again, we are starting to sniff the middle of July. It's the 15th in two days. And – It'll be interesting to see what moves the Yankees make and what moves the Astros make and which, you know, moves the other contenders make, you know, the Mets. The Mets, so say, need offense. It's so funny. A couple years ago, Edwin Diaz was this clown show closer that they all hated, and now he's having arguably the most dominant season of any relief pitcher, especially after Holmes got lit last night. I mean, it's unbelievable what he's done. Edwin Diaz has now struck out more than half the batters he's faced this year. It's unbelievable. I mean, he's just making it look easy. Now, I've seen him be dominant before because whenever that was the year before they made the trade for him three or four years ago when he was in Seattle, he had a fabulous season. He's having an even better season this year. And so it's um it's going to be very interesting. I I I you know, I've picked the Yankees in recent years to go to the World Series largely because of its bullpen. Um they've had injuries now again. If Holmes doesn't have this unbelievable first half, then the Yankees bullpen looks a little different than it than it does now. Now I understand he blew up last night. We'll see how it plays out long term. 
But I uh, wouldn't be. I guess I wouldn't be surprised if a bullpen arm is something. The main thing they most people think they need is another outfielder. I can, I can buy that for for sure uh, to strengthen up the bottom of their lineup and give them a little more consistency. But a bullpen arm wouldn't be bad. And uh, same thing for the Astros. A lot of people think they need a center fielder. I don't know that they'll go that route if they trust Myers or not. He didn't have a good night at the plate last night, but that's baseball. You're not always going to have a good night at the plate. But uh, um, catcher, there's a guy in the Astros division I do not like facing. Um, I don't know what his contract situation is, and I don't know – you know, would the Astros would be willing to give up? See, the Astros are in a kind of a weird, their form system depth is not what it used to be. And yet they do have some pieces that they're high on for the future. Would you be really willing to give up top prospects to fill a hole that you probably don't think needs to be filled in order to get to the World Series? That's an, that's an interesting situation to be in as a GM like could you get could you improve the catcher situation yeah could you improve the center field situation yeah could we go to the world series without improving it they probably think yeah and so do we really need to do it um that's going to be interesting. The guy I'm talking about is Sean Murphy. I hate having to face him. He scares me every time he comes to the plate. He got another three or four hits and three or four RBIs last night in that big 14-run outburst. You know, he hits the ball hard against the, the Astros on a regular basis. And yet, you look at his t- batting average for the season, he's hitting 240. Of course, he's playing in a triple-A lineup. He's probably not a three or a four hitter on a good team. Well, he's not a three or four hitter on a good team. But he's having to hit in the three and four hole on this team because it's not very good. And I think he's a he's a he's he's a good enough hitter that you could actually DH him, although the Astros don't really have any DH spots. Uh I don't know if they're gonna ditch on Castro or not. But I, I do think it's um, Sean Murphy's a guy that I haven't heard his name, but, man, that's one guy that I would not mind the you know if they really are looking at a new catcher. I, I, just, I just can't see the Astros replacing Candy. Now, again, Candy's been struggling uh, defensively in the last few games. I mean, they too many balls have been getting by him. I, I mean, he needs to tighten that up, but we've all seen him do it. So I, I believe that he'll be there once the playoff comes. But I don't know what the Astros' plans are for Castro. I don't even know how injured Castro is right now, really. I, you know, it was kind of a mysterious. All of a sudden, he's on the IL, which happens sometimes. That's an old 49er cheater move there. Uh, that other people have learned how to cheat from them for on, but I I, I don't I don't um I I I I've, Sean Murphy would be a guy 
I don't know what they would want, but I, I would like to have him on the Astros team. For one, I don't I don't really like facing him that much. And two, he could provide some pop off the bench. And he's a guy that if the you know, if the Astros are not gonna trade for a frontline catcher because Candy's the leader of the team, that would be shocking to me if they would replace their starting catcher. But he's a guy that could you know, late in the game, if they're behind, they could they could substitute him for uh, Candy, give him a little more uh, pop in the in the lineup, in the batting order, in a key situation. He could potentially be a a pinch hitter. The Astros don't have a lot of guys they could bring off the bench right now when they need a bloop and a blast to supply that blast for him. Depending on who's in the starting lineup, so I don't know. He's a guy that I could see happen more than going out and getting a Contreras to come and be the starting catcher because I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, I think the Astros are going to stick with Candy because he is, especially with Correa now in Minnesota, the leader of the team. So we'll see how that plays out. All right, let's do this. We'll take a timeout. When we come back, we'll shift gears and get to some more of our Footnote Summer Project, which we haven't gotten to so far yet today, and that's okay. Um, we still got, you know, two more days to do it and we made a lot of progress the first two days, but I want to go over some of the suggestions we've gotten so far and also add a few more to it. We'll open up the phone lines as well. Again, the game hotline is 706-0111, 706-0111 on the other side of this timeout on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Download the free The Game mobile app for Android and Apple devices. No matter where you are in the country, you can listen to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. That's one of my favorite intros to a song ever. And last night, I was almost the victim of a nightmare inning. Uh, Fortunately, the Astros pulled it out. It it was going to be a really grouchy Wednesday morning had they not won the game after giving it away to the little MVPs last night. But they took it back after trying to give it away. So I'm very thankful to it for that. want to remind you, SEC Media Days is coming up next week in Atlanta. The game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles is packing its bags, heading to Atlanta for SEC Media Days. It will start on Monday, July, on Monday. Both RP3 and company and Crunch Time with Miguez and Mess will be broadcasting live from the College Football Hall of Fame for SEC Media Day coverage brought to you by Bordelon Furniture. We also will have daily reports from RP3 right here on Footnotes and on Jordy's show from Matt. Again, SEC Media Days, the game 1037, Lafayette 1041, Lake Charles has you covered a week starting on Monday next week, Monday and Tuesday, Wednesday from Atlanta. All right. So, again, the game hotline is 706-0111. 706-0111. 
as we look forward to an exciting Wednesday of Major League Baseball. And it's actually an early start, about 11, I don't know, and in a little over an hour, uh, that, that, that game three of that Mets Brave series is getting underway. So we'll be doing that. But also, we've been doing a lot of football talk this week as we are on the um, NFL week on our Footnote Summer Project, heartbreaking losses. So far, and look, a lot of these next two days, especially Friday, is going to be, from what I believe and from what we've gotten in so far, I think, not necessarily all me, but a large part of the discussion to finalize the top 10 on this, for the Saints anyway, it's going to be the NFC Championship game in 2018, the loss to the Cheaters in 2011, and the 1983 Mike Lansford game where the Saints were right there in position to win. Uh, if someone else thinks another one should be in the top, like any of the of the 1978 losses to the Falcons, and again, the Saints and the Falcons were rivals before then, but that's what really sped up that rivalry. That's where the hatred for a lot from a lot of Saints fans began in the 1978 season. So trying to if you have an argument for any of those being number one or shouldn't be number one, certainly look forward to to hearing your opinion there. But we've got a lot of um other great suggestions like the um the Jacksonville debacle um the uh, Minneapolis miracle, Jared, Jerry Cook's fumble a couple seasons ago in the playoffs that, that kept the Saints from continuing their ownership of of the Yucks. Uh, the Browns' Hail Mary in what was that, 1999. Um, Fred Silva's cheat job over the Saints 13-12 to in 1988. Paul's high on the Bears' championship game loss to um in in o in o six but I'm not as high on that one we'll we can discuss that as well um we talked about the forty eight forty six loss a couple of years in two thousand nineteen also via Twitter we got yesterday the shoulda woulda coulda game of eighty seven we're about <coughs> we're about to get we're about to get to the eighty seven eighty eight eighty nine season that entire stretch was just full of frustration, full of great moments because it was the Saints' first three winning seasons uh, ever all in a row, but also full of frustrating losses as well. So uh, we're going to get to that at some point today or tomorrow. But for now, let's go to the game hotline. Hello. Morning, foot. Good morning, sir. Oh, yeah. You know, it's not glorious, but it's okay. Oof. Look, I called in reference on some. For one, a few things. One, I heard Martin call him. He is right and wrong on some things. Everybody do have their number. It's called nine championships. That's it. The other number is 86 years of drought before they ever won again. So I want I want him to understand that. That's trash. We got People know I was 27, about to be 28. You know, chips. Now, I don't believe... Make me as a person. I, I'm, I'm not in fear of the um, the mariners. 
I think the Astros are more in fear of playing them. I want them to make the playoffs and beat the Astros, then play us because we're going to beat the Mariners. If anybody, our competition is the Cheeto Astros. If anybody, I mean, got to give them their credit. I mean, like RP had said this morning, you know, y'all have a put, um, y'all have that veteran over us, you know, a bunch of veterans over us. But he did leave out. I tell him he forgot that the only thing y'all forgot that y'all have the trash cans over us, the cheating. Nah, cheating scandal. I can't believe that. But I look at this. But I, I do believe the morning is, is a threat more to y'all than the Yankees. I think y'all really don't want to face them. Because I'll be hearing you and other Astros talk about that. I think they probably have y'all number in a sense, or at least give y'all a good battle of a, of a threat. Understand that the Astros have owned the Mariners unlike any team has ever owned another team in the history of baseball. Now, this year it has been – it they've done very well so far this year, yeah. and they're a good team. Exactly. I knew that going in. But, uh, but no – they, I don't, I don't think they're a threat to the Astros as well, much as they are the Yankees. That's a lot. Stop lying to yourself, but nah. Y'all are the, y'all list. are. By the list. way, we haven't gotten to the All Star break yet, but if y'all exactly finish strong between now and the All Star break, y'all are, y'all will become the Mariners. Remember, uh, after the All Star break, if y'all <laughs> keep this up, I'm gonna start calling Aaron Boone Lou Pinella. <laughs> we gotta stop with that foot. We gotta stop with that. Now, another thing is, I look at this. Everybody been on the daily streaks, eight, ten streaks. That don't mean nothing at the end of the ball game, okay? Now, cause, and then we all got to lose eventually from streaks. Now, with these, with these Yankees, man, when I look at this, coming into what you're talking about, I'm not really worrying about nothing except for really the Astros. I'm looking at our bullpen. I'm looking at everything. We all right, but... We just keep giving up. Paul, leads. understand. Think, um, Y'all have gotten playoffs, beat by Cleveland that. and other teams. That If I'm the Yankees, I'm just worried about winning in the postseason. You haven't won exactly. enough in the postseason to be to be uh, being you know turning your nose up at any any playoff right. team we, other we, than that's Minnesota. That's what we call sure that we keep me yeah. down the cheetah. Right. We own the Rays this year. So far, we own the Rays this year so far. So I'm not worried about the Rays. The Rays own the um, ugly side. Last but not least, but I want to leave you with something. When it comes to these Red Sox fans, don't listen to them. So I'm going to correct you some. Paul, I, I'm hard-headed, you know, all this stuff. And I, I'll, be, I'll be honest with that. But there's, there's something here. I'm 99% full of facts and 1% opinion, 0% of delusion. Just want you to remember that, but. Uh, I, I, you that you can years. say it all you want. That don't mean I have to believe that. But I appreciate the call. <laughs> I appreciate the call. Take care. Man, it's very delusional. No question about that. All right, let's go back to the game hotline. Hello. Hey, Foot. Uh, I forgot to t- share. I had two more uh, heartbreaking uh, uh, memories uh, from my Cowboys. Uh, when you had said that, I was like, oh, I wanted to share that, and I forgot. One of them being when we finally gave the Saints a, a moment of glory, on Thanksgiving Day, and we we had them beat, and then I think y'all come back, drive down, drive down the field, Drew Brees, and I think y'all scored in the last minute to uh to beat my Cowboys on Thanksgiving Day. Uh, Was that when they stripped course, Roy Williams? You talking about when when it looked like what? the Cowboys are going to win, and they tackled Roy Williams, and he fumbled? Yes, 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 yes. That's it. That's the one I'm talking about. But Robert was some garbage. But now I can't. 
He was garbage, but he was sure good enough to crush Nick Saban's little face one year when he was at, when Nick, when little Nicky was at LSU. The dad's from him. So, uh, but yeah, that's the two I wanted. And uh, I wanted to ask you a question. I, I I was watching ESPN the other day, and a name that they saying might get moved at the at the trade deadline is um that cat from the uh the Kansas City Kansas City Royals, Ben and Teddy, or how how you say his name. Yeah, he used to play for the Red Sox, Andrew Benintendi. Yeah, do you see maybe the Astros going after a guy like him at the trade? No. I heard the Yankees. Of- no, I don't think the Astros will go after him. Um, but uh, like I said, I, I think I, I was trying to get the Brewers. I think teams like the Brewers or the Mets and the Yankees, I would I could see them going after him. Right, well, of course, if he if he's a Red, he was a Red Sox, of course the Yankees are going to try and uh, – and get them since they they can't develop their own talent. They gotta come across the the uh, the bay and, uh, and and get our talent. But anyway, uh, thanks for taking my all call right. again. Th- 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 uh, keep Paul, keep Paul. Uh, maybe one day he'll listen to the baseball guru. Have a good one. Buddy. All right, take care. All right, getting back to our um, footnote summer project in the in the late eighties, and there was a reference to this um, yesterday, I believe. But there are so many. 1988 was an incredibly frustrating season. And 88, 89, 90, that was really the era where the Astros got cheated so bad by the cheaters. That's where that, that's where that, that comes from. And again, I've explained that a lot in recent years. I actually kind of like the way that the cheaters play football now me calling the cheaters has nothing to do with the current regime, nothing at all to do with the current regime. That's just, it's simply a sins of the fathers thing. I mean, they cheated the saints so bad in that, uh, in the late eighties and early nineties. It just, you know, it just, it is what it is. You, you, you get a nickname and you got to live with it forever. <clears throat> but those frustrations began, um, you know, in 1987, the shoulda, um, it was right before they had the three-game strike with replacement players. The Saints had the Saints lost 24-22 after outplaying them most of the game like they always did, and physically they always outplayed the cheaters. They just, um, you know, for whatever reason, they would lose the games at the end. And they would always get this little flag out of nowhere to, to extend the drive when it looked like they should have been punting or it was – down and oh, we throw a flag and, and extend it. Um, very creative flag throwing by the officials at the end of games where the Saints, after the Saints had clearly outplayed them. Uh, and that happened repeatedly uh, in that era. But uh, Martin Anderson, who anybody who knows me knows, I am, he's my most disliked Saints player ever is Martin Anderson. And he missed a 50 yard field goal indoors. That would have won the game 25-24. Instead, he missed it, and that's when Jim Mora went on this, you know, the Saints ain't good enough, shoulda, woulda, coulda, got to win the games, blah, blah, blah. Well, right after that, they had the three-game, you know, they went on strike in the three-game replacement games, and the Saints came back and won nine in a row. Made the playoffs for the first time. Well, who did the NFL put him against opening up the 1990, 1988 season? None other than the Cheaters. 
And, of course, the Saints, once again, I'll play the most of the game, got beat 34-33. Uh, that, was, that was just a brutal loss. Um, 1989, Saints are playing them in the Dome, and that was the game that if you go on T, I I mean, you want to talk about cheating. I mean, they gave John Taylor a, a – go and you can just Google it. I mean, it's been up many times. A lot of people get caught up in one of the touchdowns scored in that game was a touchdown pass to Jerry Rice where he fumbled the ball at the one-and-a-half-yard line going in. I don't care about that. Again, I was it a bad call? Yes. Did he really score the touchdown? No. But he got behind the defense. That's just kind of like, well, he didn't dot his eye. I I never have been a big that, – that, that has never bugged me because they, they won. Like, they outperformed the Saints on that play. So I have no problem with him getting being rewarded the touchdown, even though he shouldn't, even though he didn't really score. I'm about the team rewarding the team that plays the best. But earlier in that game, they gave John Taylor a touchdown that wasn't even close to a touchdown. They just gave it to him. Um, and the Saints lost that game 24-20. Then in the season opener in 1990, the Saints, we talked about yesterday, just physically abused uh, Roger Craig and beat him up, but they had didn't have enough offense because John Forquet was the quarterback and lost 13-12. to 12. It was just every time they played him. It was just these agonizing losses after agonizing losses, somewhat fueled by very um, fortunate officiating that always went the way of the cheaters in that era. So it was, it just, again, in all of those, any of those and all of those could be in the top 10. I know a lot of people have forgotten about that era, but it was brutal. Also in 1988, um, no, 1989 was the Saints, the Flipper Anderson game. A lot of people don't remember that. The Saints had a lot of frustrating losses that year in 89. But they had gotten to six and five and were in pretty good shape to 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 maybe make the playoffs again. And they dominated the Rams for the first three. Like they did the Rams didn't have, I remember covering that game. The Rams didn't have hardly any offensive yards in the first three quarters. And yet the Saints didn't put them away. And Flipper Anderson has this unbelievable record breaking fourth quarter. In overtime period, and the Saints lose twenty to seventeen. You know, I mentioned that uh, the thirteen to twelve agonizing losses. Man, twenty to seventeen is a very familiar, heartbreaking score for the Saints as well. Because uh, you know, both again, both of those nineteen seventy eight losses that we talked about to the Falcons were both twenty to seventeen. Unbelievable uh, stretch there. The Saints had winning seasons in those eras. They were really good. They had the Dome Patrol defense, and yet they lost games in agonizing fashion. And, you know, also in that 1988 was the 27-24 loss at Washington with Dexter Manley spit in, um, in Jim Dombrowski's face and got away with that. It's just, it was unbelievable how many losses the Saints incurred in that era that they had no business losing. Really, they had no business losing. Also in that 1989 season, and this is where this is where my very strong opinion about returning punts began. The 
the Saints were playing Raymond's Redskins. And notice, yeah, in 89, they were, the Saints were playing Raymond's Redskins again. Dominating the game but didn't put up enough points. And at the very end of that game, all they had to do is get out of the way. Instead, Derek Shepard tries to return a punt and fumbles it deep in the in, in uh, Saints territory. They kick a like a 19-yard field goal or something and win the game 16 to 14. All they had to do win the game is get out of the way. And that's where I began thinking, you know, we field too many punts in this country. And and I've said that many times, but that was the birth of that. That was the thing that sparked it. It's like, why are you even trying to field this punt? You're trying to do it to save five or 10 yards, but it's not worth the risk. It's not worth it. And they lost that game because of it. Man, those two seasons, 88 and 89, were both winning seasons, but they could have been so much better without – you know, heartbreaking loss after heartbreaking loss after heartbreaking loss. It was it was an exciting time. You know, the old cliche, the best of time and the worst of times. It was exciting, but, man, it was excruciating at the same time. Uh, just a very frustrating and triumphant era at the same time in the history for the Saints. So all of those, you know, we, we talk about it has to be postseason, but all those games – or it's frustrating to many of those games are higher on my list than some of these playoff losses that they've had. All right, we'll take a timeout, come back, and keep the phone lines open uh, for another segment or two, get any Saints nominations or overall NFL nominations. Next on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Kevin Foote, an award-winning journalist, popular sports talk show host, and a man who apparently moonlights as a doctor. A medicine season of a different strand in 12, obviously, because the criminal commissioner decided to inflict them with with the, the host bounty gate silliness. His descriptions of illnesses are extremely concise. A normal strand of a medicine season. It was a different strand. This out of the blue from Timbuktu and all of this bounty gate silliness. Dr. Foot is ready to write a prescription for what ails your favorite team here with more footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Once again, the game hotline is 706-0111. 706-0111. We talked quite a bit of Major League Baseball today. Some interesting series going on. Astros, again, will be right here. On the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles tonight at 838. Christian Javier against one of the little MVPs, Shohei Hotani. Uh, Mike Trout last night, if you didn't watch the game, they Astros struck him out twice and then he got hurt. I don't know what's his situation in terms of his availability for tonight's game or not. Very shortly, uh, in less than an hour, I believe, the um, – 
Game three of the Mets Braves series is going on. Good day, good schedule in Major League Baseball um, today. So we're we, you know we've talked about that. We talked LSU sports with Cokie Riley in the first hour about the recruiting and and kind of some things going on there as well as looking forward to the MLB draft over the weekend. And we've also made a little progress, uh, a little more progress, I should say, on. NFL week in our footnote summer project, which is heartbreaking losses. And uh, coming up with the top 10 is going to be, as I would say, muy difficile, very difficult. And we'll see how, um, how, what progress we made. But, you know, one of the things, I've always kind of known it, but I kind of stumbled across it in doing, and doing, and kind of going over some of these losses and looking, um, and, and remembering some of these games, 1991, the Saints started out 7-0. and And everything was going great. And we've already talked about earlier this week how the end of that season, they lost a bunch of corner, had a bunch of injuries to the cornerback position and really were very vulnerable on defense going into the playoffs. And the Falcons beat them 27-20 in that playoff game, having to pull guys off the street that weren't even currently on a roster just to be able to field a, de- a team for the playoffs. Not a good position to be in. Their first loss that season, however, at 7-0, and was a Bears team that played at home. And they had dominated the game. Very familiar theme, if you've heard me talk about it in this era, where they dominated the game play-to-play but didn't score enough points to put the team away. And the Bears got one little drive together at the end of the game and won the game, here we go again, 20-17. to 17. I guess I always knew it, but when you when you start looking at heartbreaking losses in this format, you realize, man, that 20-17 to 17 score has just been one that has haunted the Saints through the years. That, that 91 loss, the Saints should have been 8-0 right there. That 91 loss was um, tough. Of course, at that time, we didn't know that the Saints were about to get a bunch of injured cornerbacks down the stretch. It's not even on your mind. Um, they were very good that year. And then the following year in 92, they were even better and went 12 and four. And their worst loss of the season was like, by like four points. I mean, I mean, you know, every game, they I mean, they, they want, it didn't take much of an imagination. They could have been 16 and oh, really. They lost about four. They lost about two points on a last second field goal to the Eagles. They lost about four points to the to Jim Kelly and the and the Buffalo Bills during their little run where they made a bunch of uh, Super Bowls and couldn't win any. They lost a close game to the Cheaters, and I, I don't remember the fourth loss that year. But but there were, um, you know, they they could have won every game they played, and they had a double digit lead in the playoff game against the Eagles and blew that. So I mean, a double digit lead at the half. So it was it was a very frustrating. It was a Again, a good season, but also frustrating because of how the ends went. But no, that 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 loss to the Bears at ninety one at the time was as frustrating as it could get. Now, you know, you were seventy one, so it wasn't like the world was ending, but should have been eight no. Uh had no business losing that game. Uh, Tom Waddle caught a big pass. Just absolutely um sickening. So Lot of lot of uh, losses to you know the Saints win is going to be tough. We're we're going to have to make a lot more 
we've gotten some on on the national. We we talked about the drive. I mean, overall NFL. We talked about the drive, the fumble, the Falcons twenty eight three loss, the the Cowboys hail mary. Drew Pearson against the Vikings. Um, the 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 Vikings lost in the championship game at home to the Falcons in '98. The immaculate reception, the Norwood missed field goal in the Super Bowl, the Des Bryant fumble playoff loss to the Packers, the Ice Bowl, and of course the throwaway. Uh, that's what I call it when Montana rolled out to the right, and I'm sure they were holding and leg whipping on all, all the way to his trip to the right sideline, and then he threw was trying to throw it away. And Dwight Clark jumped up and caught the ball and 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 the and the very frustrating thing about that game is there was still time on the clock and and, and the Cowboys had just crossed midfield and had they just blocked Jim Stuckey I think Septian was going to kick a field goal and they were going to still win that game 30 to 28 but they didn't block um they didn't block Stuckey and uh, he got a he got a sack and cheaters long before, well before calling them the cheaters at that point, uh, got that victory, and that, that was sickening. Um, another game worth mentioning that we actually mentioned quite a few, referred to quite a few times during high school week that certainly needs to be on this list is the Joe, the Joe Pasarczyk miracle out at the Meadowlands where they were just running out the clock, and then they, um, and they fumbled. I want to say it was Zonka. He fumbled, and um, Herman Edwards, who most of us know by now, you play to win the game, picked it up, and um, ran it in for a touchdown. Just a crazy um, way to lose. Just an awful, awful way to lose. And so there's a lot more on the NFL side we need to make over the next two uh, next two days. But we have time. To, We've gotten a lot of suggestions and a pretty good list going for the Saints. I'm sure there's still some Saints games we need to do. A couple games getting cheated by the Arnolds we need to put on this list. Uh, we'll get to over the next couple of days. For now, we'll take a timeout, come back, finish out today's show. After this timeout on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home. For the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros, want to remind you, if you have not joined the game clubhouse, you need to do so today. It's free. It's simple. So sign up today. And if you do, go to 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. Sign up for the game clubhouse. Put you in position to win great prizes like Astro Trips that we talked about earlier, $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester Steakhouse or a $50 gift certificate to Half Shell Oyster House or maybe a $25 gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen. So sign up today if you have not joined the game clubhouse yet by going to 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com today. So we'll see. You know, Otani, <clears throat> for all the grief and teasing I like to do for the little MVPs, um, is obvi- obviously done. he's on a streak right now and given up many runs in recent starts. Would it shock me if he pitched well against the Astros tonight? Of course it wouldn't. I mean, he's pitched well a lot lately, but... 
the Astros, not only have they owned the little MVPs in recent years, they they tend to they like challenges like this. They like when, you know, the Astros weren't playing very well going into that New York stretch. And then, you know, a lot of all the publicity from the national media playing all these teams, some people were starting to write, well, the Astros have a good record, but they haven't really beaten anyone. You know, their record, again, you know, they've had a lot of games over teams that were under 500. Well, they, they went 7-2 and two in those nine games against the two New York teams and should have been 9-0. and oh. So um, it is, um, you know, I, I think they like challenges, but uh, that doesn't mean they're going to hit them. So we'll see what the Astros do tonight against Otani. Unfortunately, it's going to be one of those late games. But, again, if you're riding around, you can hear it right here on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Don't have to wait very long. Hannah won't have to wait very long to see what her Mariners are going to do because they're about to play the first game of a doubleheader and the Braves and the Mets are about to play start a game. I like getaway day games, especially if you're not having to work that day. It's really awesome. You can really pay attention in the afternoon and you don't have to stay up real late to see what happens. Um, that would be a particularly nice victory if the Astros could get it just because anytime you beat, you know, one of the MVPs, one of the two guys who are going to lead the American League into the All-Star game, you know, the little MVPs, they just kind of they lead the parade. I mean, they're trail they're, they are trailblazers. The rest of us just trying to become the little MVPs. <sighs> Played awful last night, give them 5 runs and they still blew the game. Little MVPs. Now their GM's trying to say he's got a plan. Yeah, right. All right, that'll do it for today's program. Appreciate the phone calls. Appreciate Hannah as always. Y'all have a nice day.